This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 188, Submission 1470, Disco Demolition Night. Disco Demolition Night was a promotion held by the Chicago White Sox in the middle of a doubleheader between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers at Comiskey Park the night of July 12th, 1979, and it aired locally on WSNS Channel 44 in Chicago. Well, guys, one of the most infamous promotions in MLB history is Disco Demolition Night, a promotion held by the godfather of crazy promotional stunts, Bill Vec. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh-huh. And if the name doesn't uh, ring a bell, a couple of the other things that he's done now, some of these aren't as wacky, definitely not wacky by any means, but uh, when he owned the Indians back in the 40s, he signed Larry Doby, who was became the first African-American player in the American League, J- just a few weeks after Jackie Robinson debuted with the Dodgers back in 47. Also, when he owned the St. Louis Browns back in the 50s, if you remember Eddie Gadell, the short person who played uh, baseball, one at bat, he walked on, I think, four pitches because he was so short. He, he was like three foot eight or something like that. Three foot seven, I'm sorry. And wore the number one eighth. True story. That was a Bill Vec uh, promotion as well. I would almost call him like the P.T. Burnham of baseball owners. Yes, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very uh, unusual in some of his, uh, his promotions, but also, again, yeah, not really a promotion, but he signed Larry Doby, who was one of the first uh, African Americans to play in uh, baseball, the first in the uh, American League. Well, this crazy promotion, well, we've been kind of teasing it all throughout the run of the show whenever we've talked about the disco craze in the 1970s. We talked about it in the Playboy roller disco pajama party and then making it. So now we're into the crescendo of our disco storyline right here. Now this all came about because in the 1970s, of course, Saturday Night Fever, the hottest movie in the country, disco became super huge after that movie. And some would argue that the that the uh, white co-opting of the disco culture where it had um, sort of been in the uh, in Latin American music, African American music, gay culture, it's been co-opted by uh, cisgendered straight males for uh, mass production, of course, in the guise of the Bee Gees from Saturday Night Fever. Yes. But also at this time, a lot of radio stations in the country were switching to disco music. In 1978, WKTU 
not the current version of WKTU that's owned by iHeartRadio, but this is the WKTU, which later became 92.3 K-Rock. Which is that, now back to WNYL, Alt-92.3. Yes. Alt-92.3. Okay, in 1978, WKTU was a low-rated rock station and switched to disco and immediately became the biggest radio station in the country. And this led to many stations trying to replicate it. And in Chicago, we had a radio DJ by the name of Steve Dahl, who was working at the station WDAI when he was fired on Christmas Eve of 1978 when the station flipped from rock to disco. All right, was... now WDAI nowadays would be WLSFM, owned yeah. by Cumulus. Yes. He was then hired, Steve Dahl, by rival album rock station WLUP, sensing an anti-disco backlash, and it paid off with the publicity about his firing, and he frequently mocked WDAI's Disco DAI slogan on the air as Disco D-I-E. He then created a mock organization, the Insane Coho Lips, an anti-disco army consisting of his listeners, and according to Andy Barons of ESPN, Dahl and his broadcast partner, Gary Meyer, organized the Cohos around a simple and surprisingly powerful idea. Disco sucks. Yeah. So the Cohos were locked in a war dedicated to the eradication of the dreaded musical disease known as disco. In the weeks leading up to Disco Demolition Night, Dahl would promote a number of anti-disco public events, several of which became unruly. And when a discotheque in Linwood, Illinois, switched from disco to rock in June, Dahl arrived, as did several thousand co-hosts, and the police were called. Later that month, Dahl and several thousand co-hosts occupied a teen disco in the Chicago suburbs, and at the end of June, Dahl urged his listeners to throw marshmallows at a WDAI promotional van at a shopping mall where a teen disco had been built. The co-host chased the van and driver and quartered them in a local park. Though the situation ended without violence, on July 1st, a near riot occurred in Hanover Park, Illinois, where hundreds of co-hosts could not enter a sold-out promotional event and fights broke out. Some 50 police officers were needed to control the situation. When disco star Van McCoy died suddenly on July 6th, Dahl marked the occasion by destroying one of his records, The Hustle, on the air. Presumably with his head. Yes. Dahl and Meyer regularly mocked disco records on the radio. Dahl also recorded his own song, Do You Think I'm Disco, a parody of Rod Stewart's disco-oriented hit, Do You Think I'm Sexy. That makes no sense. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to... Because I have the lyrics in front of me. I'm trying to put the lyrics to the music, and I, and I, and I just can't. Um, Do you yeah. think I'm disco because I spend so much time blow-drying out my air? Do you think I'm disco because I learned the dance steps, learned them all at Fred Astaire? Jeez. That is bad. That's horrible. That's terrible. That is horrible. Unbelievable. Your music's bad and you should feel bad. But yeah, during the first half of 1979, a lot of anti-disco happenings most of them orchestrated by Dahl. They just spread like fire across the country. Now, 
it all sort of came to a head, but we will get to that. Because it's time now for Act 2 of our little story. So Bill Vick had been noted, of course, as we mentioned, for using unusual promotions to attract fan interest. His son, Mike, was the promotions director for the White Sox in 1979. Mike Vick wrote in a letter to a fan before the season in 1979 that team management intended to make sure that whether the White Sox won or lost, the fans would have fun. Earlier in the 1979 season, on May 2nd, the Tigers-White Sox game at Comiskey Park was rained out, so officials rescheduled it as part of a twilight doubleheader on Thursday, July 12th. Already Which means sc- they would both be played. One would be an early evening game, and the other would be a later evening game. Yes. Already scheduled for the July 12th evening was a promotion aimed at kids who could purchase tickets at half the regular price. The White Sox had a disco night at Comiskey in 1977. Mike Vick, WLUP sales manager Jeff Schwartz, and WLUP promotions director Dave Logan discussed the possibility of an anti-disco night promotion after Schwartz had mentioned that the White Sox were looking to do a promotion for the station. The matter had also been brought up early in the 79 season when Schwartz told Mike Vick of Dahl and his plans to blow up a crate of disco records while live on the air from a shopping mall. And during a meeting at WLUP, Dahl was asked if he would be interested in blowing up records at Comiskey on July 12th. Since the radio frequency of WLUP was 97.9, the promotion for July 12th, Disco Demolition Night, in addition to the offer for teenagers, was that anyone who brought in a disco record to the ballpark would be admitted for 98 cents. Dahl was to blow up the collected records between games of the doubleheader. This almost sounds like a situation... We know how it ended, but it sounds like something that Susan St. James should chime in with. Just blowing up disc records between games in a doubleheader, that does not sound very smart. Maybe afterwards, but not in the middle. No. Right. Uh-oh. But the promotion oh. did work because the previous night's attendance was 15520 and Comiskey Park had a capacity of 44,492. And this was a sellout. And but, then some. Yeah. But the problem is, Mike Vick had only hired enough security at Comiskey Park for 35,000 fans. And at least 50,000 showed up. Uh oh. Now, the people who paid their tickets. Their 98 cent tickets. They put their their uh, disco records in a box to be blown up. And anybody else who managed to sneak in, I guess, were flinging disco records at the field like frisbees. Yeah. But before that, we got to talk about the first game because there was a first game to this doubleheader. Yep. And so we got to talk about the lineups of this first game of the doubleheader from July of 1979 between the Tigers and the White Sox. And I have the baseball reference box score right here. So, Mike, do you want to read the lineup for us? Okay. Starting for your visiting Detroit Tigers, 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 batting leadoff in center field. Ron LaFleur, LaFleur, LaFleur. Batting second at second base 
Lou Whitaker. Betting third, your DH, Rusty Staub. Betting cleanup at first base, Jason Thompson. Betting fifth in right field is Champ Summers. Batting sixth in left field is Jerry Morales. Batting seventh at catcher is Lance Parrish. Batting eighth at third base is Tom Brookins. And batting ninth is the shortstop, Alan Trammell. And pitching, starting pitcher in the first game is Pat Underwood. Now, here's some surprises I had, okay? Rusty Staub with the Tigers at this time in 79. And that one caught both you and me off guard because we both remember Rusty Staub from either the Expos or for the Mets. Yes. So it's very weird to see him in a Tigers uniform at this time in 79. Although I think he was with the Tigers when uh, in 77 when Mark Fidridge had that uh, – Amazing yes, he season was. in 77. Yeah, yes, he was. Because I think he was on the Monday night baseball game against the Yankees, the famous game. And he wouldn't be uh, traded to the Expos until well after this game. Yeah. And then later he went back to the Mets where he mainly was a pinch hitter for the final few years of his career. But another thing I wanted to note, this is also the beginnings in 79 of Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. Sort of the genesis of what made the Detroit Tigers the Detroit Tigers, the team of the 80s. Well, 1984 at least. Well, the the team of 1984 at least, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also Alan Trammell actually made his debut in 77, but uh, this would have been his third year. And Lou Whitaker... Uh, his uh, first year was 77 as well. So th- they both would have been in their third year at this point. So yeah. they're, they're not exactly rookies at this point. Uh, another name I want to mention is uh, Lance Parrish. Oh, yeah, Lance Parrish. If you don't know who Lance Parrish is, he was a catcher, oh, I would say for the better part of almost, I don't want to say 20 years, but I want to say probably 17 or 18 years. Oh, he was a solid guy. Oh, I'm taking a look at uh, Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. Major League debut was in September of 77 for the Tigers, and his last appearance was for the Blue Jays in September of 95. So that's 18 years. Whoa, I did not realize he was around that long. I figured he was around about that long. I figured, like I said, about 17, 18 years. Uh, He was around for ages. He played for the Indians back in 93 before – uh, they went to Progressive Field in their last season at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. He has been around. And actually, even nowadays, he still is associated with the Tigers. He's the special assistant to the general manager for the Tigers. But even up to a few years ago, talking uh, 2018 or so, he was the manager. For, this is for about three, four years. He was the manager of the Tigers AA affiliate, the Erie Seawolves. And also, he was the manager of the Michigan Whitecaps, uh, which is a single-A team. So uh, you, he actually, both of those teams uh, come to this area quite a bit. And I actually, a, a friend of mine, uh, actually got uh, Lance Parrish's autograph. Oh. I think on a trading card or something. Wow. And and they were talking. They were talking about, hey, I remember you as an Indians player, and he, he was sort of 
you know, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, you're you're making me blush a little bit. But yeah, very approachable guy. And I know he does a lot of sports card shows in the Detroit area. So if you want to get his autograph, you know, get your your 20 bucks or whatever, and you, you can easily get it. But he's he's beyond a known commodity. We, 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 we talk about it as a known commodity. If he was an actor, he's beyond a known commodity. Yeah, definitely. Very good catcher. And also Sporky Anderson, of course, is with the Tigers at this time. Would have I'm trying to think, when would he have been left the Reds and went to the Tigers? I want to say 78, maybe, because I think he was there in 77, and he was definitely there in 76. He was definitely there in 76 when they swept the Yankees to win their second straight title. I know that. Uh, actually, taking a look here, it looks like 79 is the first year for Sparky Anderson. Okay. Well... Speaking of people in their first year as a manager, let's go to the Chicago White Sox, shall we? Because we all know who was in his first year as a manager in 1979, and we talked about him earlier this year. Yeah, we did. It's the former and current manager of this franchise, Tony La Russa. Number one, what is your name, please? My name is Tony LaRussa. Number two. My name is Tony LaRussa. And number three. My name is Tony LaRussa. Only one of these people is the real Tony LaRussa and has sworn to tell the truth. And by the way, did you see last week when there was that big fight and Larissa came rushing out like all old man running the running oh, way to the that was against the Indians? Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. That Him was... with his eighty-year-old old man running legs. <laughs> he was hustling. He was hustling for a for a man at eighty years old. <laughs> that was just amazing. But yeah, this is like the very beginnings of Tony Larissa right here in 79. Yep. For Oakland before St. Louis. Hey, it's Greg here in post. Yeah, I did not realize after this podcast had already been recorded and put up that Apparently, yeah, Tony LaRusso wouldn't be the White Sox manager for, like, another month. It was actually uh, some guy named Don Kessinger. Now, Don Kessinger, he played for the Cubs from 64 to 75, from the Cardinals from 76 to 77, and played with the White Sox from 77 to 79. And he was named a player manager by the White Sox in October of 78. And he was the manager for the White Sox on Disco Demolition Night. And considering the White Sox were so lousy in 79, fishing in fifth place, Kessinger resigned his position on August 2nd and was replaced by Tony Rivers. But that's pretty wild considering, yeah, player slash manager. I don't think you ever see that. I mean, obviously, you don't see it anymore, but. Gotta think, like, maybe he was, like, one of the last player managers, considering I know Frank Robinson, when he was with Cleveland, was a player manager. But that's all for that matter, and we can go back to the rest of the episode. So let's check in on what past me, Chico, and Mike had to say about this disastrous cluster of a promotion. 
And your starting lineup for your Chicago White Sox. Okay, here we go. Batting first. On second base, Alan Bannister. Who? Former Indian. He was an he he actually had a lengthy career. Not a spectacular one, mind you, but he played for some time. Okay. Is he any relation to Floyd Bannister? Uh they're different races. You determine that. Oh, okay. Batting second at left field, Junior Moore. Who? Batting third at center, Chet Lemon. Oh, I've heard of him. Oh, yeah. We Oh, if you know baseball of the 80s and I think the early 90s, you know who Chet Lemon is. Oh, yeah. Batting fourth at first base, Lamar Johnson. Okay. That might be another who. Batting fifth, the D.H., Wayne Norgagan. Okay, guys, this has got to be a made-up name. I refuse to believe that there was ever a player named Wayne Nordhagen and that he was a DH no less. You know what? I'm going to just check. I'm going to just check baseball reference. and it, just. Uh, I'm on baseball reference. He actually played for eight years. What? And 1980 was probably his best year. 15 homers, batted 277. He yeah. played on he played on three teams in 82. He wait a minute. Hold on a second. He got he got he played on Toronto. He played one game for Pittsburgh. I'm guessing he got released. And then he came back to Toronto. What the hell? Let me they go. love him in Toronto. Let me go. All right. April 2nd, 1982, traded by the White Sox to the Blue Jays for a real Rodriguez. June 15th, 1982, traded to the Toronto Blue Jays to the Philadelphia Phillies for Dick Davis. June 15th, 1982, the same day, traded to the Philadelphia Phillies to the Pittsburgh Pirates for Bill Robinson. Oh, future Mets base coach Bill Robinson. And then 10 days later, the Pirates traded him back to Toronto to complete an earlier deal made on June 22nd, 1982, where or he the was the pl- said a player to be named later for Dick Davis. What the hell? I've never heard of somebody traded so often in the season, let alone tra- traded twice in a day. Twice in great. a day. That is great. Not to mention three times in 10 days. Oh, my gosh. Like, does anybody else smell burnt toast? This is the kind of information you only get here on It Was a Thing on TV. No other podcast is going to discuss Wade Nordhagen. Batting six. Right field, Rusty Torres. Batting seven. The third baseman, Jim Morrison. Isn't he supposed to be dead? Oh, geez. He would be quite the third baseman if he weren't so dead. He broke on through to the. He he broke on through to the other side. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Batting eighth, the shortstop Greg Pryor. Batting ninth, the catcher Mike Colburn. Starting pitcher for today is Fred Howard. 
I don't. Let me just look up Fred Howard's record. Oh, he only pitched one year in the bigs, and he was one in five. And by the way, spoiler alert, one of those five losses would be in this game because the White Sox lost four to one to the Tigers. Like we said, White Sox, 1979, NG, no good. No, no good. Okay, but this is what we came here for, okay? We have the Disco Demolition Night, so we're going to watch some of the coverage here. And by the way, guys, they actually had the uh, on FuzzyMemories.com, which we're going to put in the description on the show notes on our Podbean page, the whole compilation for the 40th anniversary that Fuzzy Memories did about this night. And so we're going to play some footage from game one here. So we're going to live watch this. By the way, Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall are your announcers for the White Sox at this time in 79 on WSNS Channel 44. And look at, the, look at that 70s font right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's all computer generated. You don't get that sort of cheapness nowadays. By the way, nowadays, uh, nowadays, WSNS forty four, a Univision O and O. Yeah, that's your typical seventies character generator there. Yep. They they use it all the time on Wheel of Fortune and Dollar ninety eight beauty show. We'll be right back with play-by-play action and Harry Carey right here at Comiskey Park where the fans will be going wild all night. Oh, yeah, they will be, Jimmy. You have no idea. Hello again, everybody. Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall from Comiskey Park where we're going to have a, a wild night tonight, a twin-eyed doubleheader. And the th- theme song seems to be... If you believe all these signs around here and the center field bleachers are already jammed and according to the the disc jockey of the station loop which is sponsoring the teenager night here disco sucks that's <laughs> <laughs> look at that crowd out there i never thought i never thought i'd ever hear harry carey say the word sucks and it's apparently teenager night those are the only people who listen to disco or rock. I want them to see the shirt you're wearing. How about that shirt, Harry? No, Can think... you make that out? It says outpatients. I think everybody should. Now hold up your legs. <laughs> He's wearing shorts. Look at those shorts oh, Jimmy Pierce all has on. There's more beef on those He's legs. He's got some nice legs. Hey, Harry, I want oh, to yeah. tell you right now about my catch. Woo-hoo! Let's talk about my catch. Let's talk about they look catch, good. Right? More sensational yeah. play. Our uh, national anthem. Oh, they're going to play the national anthem. Look at the lapels on that guy. Clearly late 70s. All all the vibrato. All the vibrato. He's going to go for two in a row. He looks nice. He's all dressed up in yellow and brown. Oh, look at that. Oh, gosh, they're wearing those uniforms. Good heavens. Burn them. Not as bad as the 83 uniforms, but still pretty bad. All right, I'm going to skip to 2120 right here. This is Disco Demolition Night. You can... 
You can hear them chant. Disco sucks. They're an anti-disco army headed by Steve Dahl. Oh, and look, Alan Trammell's at the plate. Radio, FM 98, which is a, a rock station. I love how Harry's trying to tell what this is all about. Without a question, the greatest teenage promotion night that any station has had by far. Oh, there he goes promoting as a teenage promotion again. Well, it was teenage night. Well, but they're not the only people who listen to disco is what I'm sort of implying. Trammell hits a fly ball to center. That'll be an easy out. Lemon is there, and he takes it. Away. Now, Mike, I want to take a timeout here. Let's, Let's talk about how awful these White Sox uniforms are in 79. That's what I was seeing. Oh, my gosh. They're Burn them with butt fire. ugly. Burn them with butt. They're so ugly, they should be working with Kurtwood Smith. They're ugly. Listen. Call back to last week. But... No, they those are just atrocious. I mean, they didn't get any better in like the eighties when they actually like wore shorts. Do you remember that? When they yes. wore shorts? The Bermuda shorts. Back in like eighty-three, like the Ron Kittle era. Oh my gosh. But the thing is the font on those is atrocious. Oh my they're an eyesore. I'm not even joking. They are. It looks like Oh God! It looks like they like ripped off of somebody's uh, leather toolkit. Know what I mean? With the yeah. sort of le- leather sculpting toolkits. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. So the first game's ended. Yeah. So we're watching. I got it muted right here. We're watching like Steve Dahl right here on the field, and he's blow- about to blow up these records. And Steve Dahl here, he's dressed up like. I don't know. He's dressed up like he's thinks he's Patton or something. Yep. And he also has a station spokesmodel named Laura. Was it Lorelai? Yeah, Lorelai, I think it is. And yeah, he's gonna blow up all these records. It's like, we took all these records, we put them in a box, now we're gonna strap some explosives to them, and we're gonna blow them up real good. Alright, let's... Let's see these records blow up. Here we go. All right, but first, just to get us all in the mood and to work us into an anti-disco frenzy here. After they blow up the record, we'll be right back with an interview with Bill Gleason, the columnist, after this message. Oh, this is... Disco sucks. He's rallying the troops. No, seriously. He's rallying the troops. We rock and rollers will resist and we will triumph. All right, you ready? We're going to count the three and go boom. Oh, here we go. And they're going to pull up real good. I'm telling you, it's going to be hot. He's hyping the crap out of this. Okay, here we go. Here they go. Boom. Yeah, boom. Those are fireworks right now. Yeah. They haven't gotten to the main event here. 
Oh, there, there it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh. Take that, air supply. Take that, Barry Gibb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the organ music with the irony is playing. Do you think I'm sexy right now? Yeah. All right. And we got a replay. Look at that. Somebody to roll the music for a... Look at that. And then there's a big kaboom with all the records flying in the air. And if that had been it, that would have been awesome. But that would have been awesome. Everybody would have been it would have been incredible. But what but I remember an old joke. I went to a riot and the baseball game broke out. Well, here's what happens next. All right, here we go. I'm at 46.17 in the video, so here we go. White Sox are preparing for the second game. The pitcher for the second game's on the mound. And then, look at this. A bunch of morons come and slide into second. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, Th no. This is the band is taking the field to a whole new level. Jimmy Pearsall back at the ballpark, and I'm sure glad, and I hope they, they switch back see what's to going uh, on here at Comiskey Park. Yeah. One of the saddest sights I've ever seen in a ballpark in my life. This garbage of demolishing a record has turned into a fiasco. Uh -oh. My guess right now is Bill Gleason. And Bill, after all the years you've been in baseball, I know you haven't ever seen anything like this. Nor has anyone else. Except after the uh, final game of a World Series in Shea Stadium, it seemed to me, Jimmy, that uh, the crowd on the field that we now have was uh, inevitable. I just watching, you could sense that they were going to break out, and all of the kids in the lower deck who want to go out will be out there now, and the White Sox may have to forfeit the second game. You know, that's a shame, too. They do have about 50,000 people, it seems like, here. And to see what's going on in the field really uh, is amazing. And I don't know what they can do about it. I certainly hope they don't demolish the field like they did in New York because we've got quite a season to go yet, and we're still in the race. Well, uh, that crowd yeah, doesn't you seem to uh, have terrible. I got bad news for you, Jimmy. Mind. I think somebody got away with... Excuse me, Jim with second base and I noticed one of the ushers salvaged first base he pulled it up and ran into the dugout with it but at the moment Bill, can they call the game the second game or will they forfeit it well I don't know what the ruling would be there I would say there are 2800 people on the field at the moment Jim so I don't know what they can possibly do as you said the baseball is no longer the story. It's this crowd yeah, you know, taking we're, over the ball. You know what's amazing? We got the greatest country in the world, but you know what? We have become followers. So many people, insecure, don't know what to do with themselves and how to have a good time. They follow someone who's a jerk. Well, that's a situation here. A lot of followers and a lot of kids drinking down in the stands. 
There are a lot of happy kids out there. I, I don't mean happy in the modern sense, <laughs> but uh, pleasant kids enjoying themselves, going off a little bit. But uh, the thing you have to consider now, Jim, is whether they can keep this crowd in control. You know, they're trying to announce it over the loudspeaker, but nobody can hear over the loud. There are now, I'd say, no. 10,000 people no. in that field, Bill, without any question. Many are grouped around home plate, more around the mound. They were trying to get everybody back to their seats. They put, all sorts of, uh, they put it like, I don't know what's so yeah, happy about that. get back to your seats. Well, also, they start playing and take me out to the ball game as well. They, hold on. They said there's, well, I don't wouldn't say there's 10,000 people on the field there. That That's kind of crazy saying that there are that many, but it's packed. It, 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 there's easily thousands there, maybe not 10,000. But also, maybe it's just me, but the guy that Jimmy Pearsall was interviewing there. I believe he's one of the uh, I believe he's one of the uh, beat writers for the White Sox. Okay, but uh, did anybody else want to put a caption underneath him saying old man yells at cloud? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, you can tell this is a guy who's been covering baseball for like 30 years. This guy has been he's like this guy's got back in the day written all over him. He's seen things you wouldn't believe. I've seen some things and some stuff. I've seen stuff, man. I've seen stuff. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Okay, so now we got Bill Vick on the field and he's like, please stop. Stop. Get off the field, please. Please, for the love of God, get off the field. It's like, no, Bill Vick, we're not listening to you, old man. Please get off the field. We have another game. Please. We want to play this second game already. So now, who are they trying to get to quell this riotous crowd? Hey, it's Harry. I don't think they want to. I don't think they want to, Harry. Well, in fairness, there are like 30,000 people who are still in the stands who are like, yeah, let's, on, let's, let's just play the rest of the game, please. <laughs> like, please, for the love of God, get back into the seats. I'm trying to call a baseball game here. If you will get off the field, we'll have a chance to hold a tiger. <laughs> to hold a tiger? Come on. <laughs> All these people, they don't care about this game. They really don't. No. Time to play baseball. (laughs) No, it's not. 
It's time to. Oh my God! Stuff's on fire. Stuff is on fire on the field. Oh, that's a big fire. I saw smaller fires on the field when we were looking at the footage earlier. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I don't think they're playing this game. Now that you have the people from the station are like, yeah, just get back in your seats, please. Yeah, come on. What are we going to fill for three hours if we can't show a baseball game? Yeah, what is WSNS going to play? Yeah, we only have two hours of Three Stooges. They're we don't have play three. The adult stuff. Back to your I don't think they had switched to on TV yet, Chico. <laughs> I, I, I can hear Harry Carey calling the station. Holy cow! We need to show three hours of Benny Hill right now! Back to your seats! Back to your seats! They're trying to... What? This is not... Nothing is working at this point. No, guys. Nothing is working. Guys. No, this isn't working, guys. And they're just standing around. They don't care. Yeah, not. Yeah! What do you say? Nah, I mean, you're just making it worse. Now, nah, yeah, guy, you're just making it. jeez. Oh, oh, look at we're what? All right, we're at one hundred seven fifty-six. There's like a big chunk of the near the mound that's been taken off the field here it looks like they've turned the lights off too yeah i think at this point it's like look we're turning the lights off get back to your damn seats oh okay bill vex talking here I think they only take Let's the orders from Steve Dahl at this point. So we can start the game. Yeah. Let's clear, clear the field, please, so we can start the game. Yeah. Please. 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 It's time for the ball game. Let's. We buried Disco, so let's. No, All right, we've game. killed Disco. It's dead. Like, it's officially dead. Come on, get back to your Let's seats. Let's all give ourselves a round of applause for killing Disco. Get back onto your seats. And they're like, no. No. No, Bill Vec. Sorry. But, oh, okay, they, they have a well, replay. We're going to replay the explosion just in case you missed anything. Yeah. The field itself has just splattered all over with debris of one sort or another. Unfortunately, there were an awful lot of fans who are not part of this promotion, and they want to see baseball. Yeah, not everyone they, was uh, here for this. To see the home team no. Win. As of now, the White Sox lost the first game of tonight's doubleheader four to one and the only way they could win a game today would be if the 
second game can be played, which it cannot be if they are unable to clear the field. Disc jockeys from the uh, station which promoted this contest, Loop, have been addressing the crowd, trying to influence their constituents to go back into the stands. And many of them have returned to their seats. No, they haven't. Well, there are still many, many more out there. Well, he did, did say there's still many out more out there. Field, where the record-burning ceremony continues. They have those records in a big wooden box and set fire to the whole box. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Just... Oh my God! Okay, so let's uh, let's get into the last few minutes with uh, Harry and Jimmy signing off for the night. Boy, oh boy. Oh no! Now the police have gotten everybody off the field. Hello again, everybody. Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall. We've had they a long basically reenacted Soylent Green, which was required that, to I get guess. the fans know. off of the field. They seem to have things in order. The t police task force, and boy, they deserve that. They deserve a little credit. From the time they barged onto the field, the crowd began to disperse. Otherwise, this game would have had to be forfeited. As a matter of fact, Sparky Anderson has announced that if he is forced to play the second game, he will play it under protest. Uh, he. He believes, and his point is, that the condition of the field and the condition that was created was not an act of God. And that oh, really, Sparky? The game should be forfeited. Of course, the Chicago White Sox naturally don't want that to happen. Bill Beck is down there now, walking over to Rudy Schaefer. There's Kessler. Bill Beck and Rudy Schaefer, there they are. Oh, no, not Rudy Schaefer. Andy Frame, the security man. That's Roger Bossert they're calling over, working feverishly along with his father to get the field in a playable condition. Harry, they took all the plate, then they tore up in front of the mound. As you'll see, there's they brought a lot of dirt to fill in the turf that they took out of there now, and they're, they're making it playable. And, I think one of the cops is even sweeping up home plate. The outfield, oh center boy. field, they had fires out there, and it doesn't look too bad from here. It's in about 400 feet from home plate. The um, It would seem as if many fans now, once they're the festivities between games had finished, they, uh, have left the premises. You know, this was a promotion of uh, the FM station Number 98, uh, WLUP, and uh, I believe the way the thing worked, I'm not too sure of these facts, but I think a fan that brought a record and a certain amount of money uh, was able to get a ticket to the ball game. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether they got it from the radio station, whether they got it from the ballpark. They sent me in a note from the other booth before, Harry, and I threw it away, and it said on it, that for 98 cents and a record, you got into the ball game, but you had to leave the record as you came into the park. But as you saw, so many records that were burned on the field and thrown out on the field, that a lot of them brought two records to the ballpark. And of course, the 
the record throwing was bad enough, but then of course when they all, when some 10,000 people barge onto the field, it made an uncontrollable crowd, and the police task force oh. executed their performance absolutely magnificently uh, to bring a degree of sanity to the premises. You know, it's too bad if a motion like this wasn't with one game. If it was one like this, probably this thing wouldn't have happened like this. But you know, it's amazing to see how the fans reacted to these policemen. They give them a standing ovation. Playing in the background the right now, what Very a fool believes. Because I think the fans that were oh, what the sweet were irony. Fans. They were fans of records and music and far out. They just weren't the fans that come to the ball. The, this is more Yacht Rock than this. Yes. They never left their seats. The oh, yeah. They were still there. Where's the Yacht Rock and Answer well, uh, guy from Sirius Bill when Rick we need him? Talking to his manager, Don Kessinger. Stay this game will be, it looks like it's going to be about 10 o'clock before you start. All right, the starting lineups for both clubs have changed now in the second game. You got your well. <laughs> oh. Uh. Okay, well, so that happened. That happened. But what did they play on the local news in Chicago to tell everyone what the hell happened about tonight? Well, a YouTuber by the name of Stella Masters has that story. Let's go to the newsroom. Okay. Our teens were at White Sox Park for a radio station promotion called Anti Disco. Between games at tonight's doubleheader, a local disc jockey blew up disco records in center field, and a crowd responded by rushing the field. Police moved in. Yeah, there's the police and it footage. Took them a considerable amount of time. A bonfire. There's that fire in the middle of center field. Police tried to clear the unruly crowd, pushed them out. Finally, got them off the field. Although, again, it took a long time. Perhaps some arrests. It's hard to tell. Some people appeared to be taken into custody. We don't know the exact nature of uh, everything that's gone on out there so far, but. New Center 5 staffer Mike Pumo is out there at uh, Comiskey Park, and we have him on the phone right now. Mike? Hello. Jim. Yes, what's the, what's the current situation? They just canceled the second game. They canceled the second game because the... Because of, uh, the field is unplayable, as determined by the umpires. Also, would they have run into a problem with the fact that uh, they had such a long delay because of this? Yeah, there's a 1 a.m. curfew, and uh, so they would have had to complete the game. But no injuries were oh, yeah. in the melee. We're at the um, CVS station, cuts to the CVS station in Chicago with uh, uh, Bill Curtis with the footage. And of course, if you don't know who Bill Curtis is, Chico. What podcast are you even listening to? It's the narrator guy from Anchorman, people. Among Most other of biography. Things. Yeah, the, but there the, you go. The announcer slash scorekeeper. On wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR. Also, investigative reports with Bill Curtis on A and E. Oh, love that! Oh yeah. Okay, Stan, I'm gonna give you a UFO crash landing card. You can deny it or cover it up, dude. I don't understand this game at all. It's investigative reports with Bill Curtis fun time game. You have to decide if you deny it or cover it up. Uh. Deny it? Okay, let's see what Bill Curtis says. Hello, I'm Bill Curtis. Many believe that the U.S. government covered it up. I'm Bill Curtis. 
Disc jockey Dole has held two similar rallies to stage blow-ups of disco records, each one resulting in a similar disturbance by youthful crowds. As we say, the second game... ...bonfire in center field, and they also ripped up some turf and... Uh, okay, we've got to, uh, NWMAQ Yeah. And uh, they had a meeting with Sparky Anderson and Don Kessinger and Bill Vec, and one of the supervisors of the umpires was here, along with a head umpire. And uh, after that meeting, I guess they've decided to cancel the game. Okay, any injuries that you know of? Not that I know of. Uh, we have no reports of any arrests either as of right now. Greg Umbles got... Okay, so now i got to introduce this next part of the clip, okay? So, we have... All right, we got two people here in this clip to introduce this clip of an interview with Steve Dahl. So we have the news anchor and the sports anchor. Chico, do you want to say who the news anchor is in this clip? The news anchor is current KNBC, NBC4 lead anchor and former host of Now You See It, Chuck Henry. But the sports anchor at WMAQ is a legendary name, Greg Gumble. Future bike cop, Greg Gumble. Brian Gumble, Greg Gumble, brothers, bike cops. Gumble to Gumble, beach justice. You talked to Matt Lauer lately? Mm hmm. Played 18 holes with him on Saturday. Told him he was soft in the Arafat interview. Oh, I like Matt. Me too. Huh. Ah, my purse! Come on, Greg, let's roll. That's the taste of beach justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's play the clip. Some more on that. For well, you us know, right now. I've been planning to to cover that particular story for about yeah. a week and a half now, and the disc jockey involved. I'll tell Steve you right Dahl, now. Hashtag black yeah, You'll he see him in a second. But, you know, exactly he doesn't really plan to have anything. Oh like yeah, this definitely. And, uh, you know, I know he's probably. He definitely has not. And it's his voice has not changed in like 40 plus years. But look at that 70s style. That is stylish. It looks like something out of a weekend update. Game and the only game, as it turned out, the Tigers practically stole White Sox catcher Mike Colburn blind in game one. They got their first run on Colburn's wild throw to second base, and then they scored their first run and or second run. Tom Brookins tripled into the left field corner to make it a two to nothing game. Greg Pryor drove in the only White Sox run of the game with a triple down into the left field corner and here comes Rusty Torres around to score but the Tigers God, on to win Comiskey Park must have been difficult as hell for outfielders with all the activities happening out between games then on team night WLUP held a disco demonstration we'll talk about that a little bit more too but game two was canceled out there 
this evening. As we said, uh, between game activities, the main attraction, the disco demolition spearheaded by morning radio man Steve Dahl and his anti-disco army called the Insane Coho Lips. Earlier, I asked Steve just what he has against disco. Well, the first thing I have against it is that I can never find a white three-piece suit that fits me off the rack. <laughs> so, uh, I hate the taste of pina coladas. I don't, I'm allergic to gold jewelry, so there's nothing there for me. Uh, I'm a cheapskate. I don't like to waste a lot of money at home, you know, in terms of my electrical bill, and you have to spend so much time blow-drying your hair. It's a waste of energy, okay? I'm ecologically meaningful and cheap, so I'm not into it. I'd like to, uh, if I could, show you how we uh, destroy the disco records. Okay, so anyway, Steve's going to show it. how he destroys the disco record. Here we go. Yeah, I chant to myself, coho lips, coho lips, and then I just... Oh, that felt good. Well, worthy as the cause may be, the idea And you want to look at his future wife and say, hey, out in the middle of center field, that you marry this happen, guy. But after that is when the fans yeah. overran the field. We have other base... <sighs> oh, my God. What a crazy, crazy promotion this was. That was crazy. It was. <sighs> and there's a bit of an epilogue here. Okay. Because, you know, what happens with history over 40 years, it gets analyzed to death. And some of the reaction, obviously, now, because Steve Dahl pretty much whipped everybody in a frenzy, he was the first one to try and whip them out of the frenzy after the smoke cleared. He said, and this is him now, I think for the most part, everything was wonderful. So maniac co-hosts got wild, went down on the field, which you shouldn't have done, bad little co-hosts. The Tigers manager, uh, who is the Tigers manager? At Sparky the time? Anderson. Sparky Anderson. He said, beer and baseball go together. They have for years, but I think those kids were doing things other than beer. David Israel of the Chicago Tribune said he was not surprised, saying, it would have happened any place 50,000 teenagers got together on a sultry summer night with beer and reefer. White Sox pitcher Rich Wortham said... This wouldn't have happened if they had country and western night. Well, he is right about that. He's not wrong. No. Bill Beck took much of the public criticism for the fiasco, but as the front office promoter, as the face of the franchise, Mike Beck took the brunt of what was coming to him. Yeah, because he was in charge of the promotion. Yes. He resigned in late 1980. His father sold the team to Jerry Reinsdorf. And for several years, he's been working at a high-life fronton in Florida. He's, now, Mike Beck has since been the owner of minor league baseball teams, including the Charleston River Dogs, who had... A Justin Bieber slash Miley Cyrus sucks rally in 2014. Steve Dahl, still with us, still a radio jock in Chicago, 
But now he has paid his own paid podcast. Hey, you gotta get that buck when you can. Am I right? Yep. He's still paying for the turf at Comiskey. Never mind the fact that Comiskey's not even there anymore. <laughs> not since 1990. Yeah. And Disco, well, Disco ultimately died. It didn't die that night, but it definitely did die a slow, painful death. And a lot of people, they were looking at this, and one of the things that Steve Dahl said as soon as all of these things came across basically said the worst thing is people calling disco demolition homophobic or racist. It just wasn't. We weren't thinking like that. It was a romp, not of major cultural significance. He said it was reframed as prejudiced by a 1996 VH1 documentary about the 1970s, which he called a cheap shot made without exploration. Now, Mark Anderson, who was 15 at the time and ultimately became a political journalist at NBC Chicago, he had this to say. He wrote, The chance to yell, Disco sucks, meant more than simply a musical style choice. It was a chance to push back on a whole set of social dynamics that lay just beneath the surface of a minor battle between a DJ and a radio station that decided to change formats. More importantly, it was a chance for a whole lot of people to say they didn't like the way the world was changing around them, or who they saw as the potential victors in a cultural and demographic war. Why does this sound so familiar? You got me. That's the joke. I know exactly why this sounds familiar. But this is that kind of podcast. So. We we know. So what's the lesson here from this? Do not put a bunch of angry people together unless you are prepared to deal with the consequences. Yeah. And for God's sakes, do not involve pyrotechnics. Yes. But one thing I want to note, okay? This was a promotion to highlight how disco sucks and how rock and roll is the best, okay? But if you look, like, 42 years later, when's the last time you saw a rock and roll song on the Billboard charts? Like rock and roll in the case of Steve Dahl's rock and roll? Yeah. I can't. In fact, if you think about it, What's one of the most popular songs in the country right now? The new Silk Sonic joint? That was an homage to 70s disco culture. That, you know, you could have played Silk Sonic's Skate with footage of the Playboy Roller Skate and Pajama Party. The Roller Disco Pajama Party. Roller Disco Pajama Party. So... Yeah, disco eventually died, but it's like, did rock and roll really come out on top in the end? I don't think so. Did disco 
really die? Or is it just one of those things that it was perfected through technology now? Yeah, through like house music and all that stuff. I'll just leave it at this. This is from Rolling Stone critic Dave Marsh, who also attended the promotion and wrote at the time, Your most paranoid fantasy about where the ethnic cleansing of the rock radio could ultimately lead. White males, aged 34, are the most likely to see disco as the product of homosexuals, blacks, and Latins, and therefore, they're the most likely to respond to appeals to wipe out such threats to their security. You've seen the footage online. You've seen the photos. Enough said. Yeah. So, what do we have to say about Disco Demolition Night in 1979 on Channel 44 in Chicago, WSNS? This whole wild night was just another thing on TV. Now let's never speak of it again. Yes. Let's just put this to bed. And, you know, we waited a month on this. We sat on it for a month, and we gave it to you, and we hope you're happy with this. But you know what else will make you happy? Going to our website, it was a thing on TV.com, where you can listen to the 187 episodes prior to this episode. They're on demand streaming. We also got live shows. We got mini shows. We got director's cuts. We got a whole bunch of stuff on there and for you guys. We're getting, we're getting more remasters too because oh yeah, Brett, Brett, we we have the uh, our latest remaster that we're working on is um, the Tommy Westfall Universe. Yep, yeah, because we're about to start the second half of that series. So yep, indeed. And also, uh, big ups to our friends at Place to Be Nation because a Greg won the belt. Yeah, I won and, the belt. And secondly, they've got the weekly drops. And this week, they're doing the new adventures of Beans Baxter. The new adventures of Beans Baxter, yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. Savage Steve Holland, baby. And that's it. All the references to Encyclopedia Brown and, of course, the clip from Mac and me. You know what? I would love to see Mac's reaction to Disco Demolition Night. <laughs> you know what would be even better? Tom Poston's reaction to Disco Demolition Night. Oh, what? What? They're blowing up records. No! What? What? They're blowing up records on the field? Oh, no. They're no. tearing up the grass. There's a fire on the field. Oh, no. We got to get the security out here. Aren't you the security? Oh, no! I'm supposed to be in charge of the security? (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. So so that's this week. Next week we have... Oh, we have a loaded week next week. We We do have a loaded week next week. We got two regular episodes. Okay, Chico, you gotta talk to me about the first episode, because I don't know what this is. Okay, um, remember when... Now, now, nowadays, you have comedians who have sitcoms based on their lives. Yes. Paul Rodriguez was one of the first. Yeah. And unfortunately, that lasted only so long. And we're going to talk about it 
uh, next week. But also, also, oh, oh, we've been die. We've been forking this episode since we started this podcast. We talked about him earlier this year, and now he's gonna get his own special episode. It's one of the most legendary flops in advertising history. But dear lord, this ad campaign's legendary to us. Are you ready for Burger King now? Oh, I am. But also, we got a special mini-sode. Oh, yeah. I got 80,000 reasons why you should be excited for this mini-sode. 80,000? 80,000. 80,000. 80,000? Yes. But also, guys, that's not going to be all if you can believe it. What? We got what? More than three shows? We got a special. I don't think we have the energy. We have a special live show. You're insane. Well, that's wild, man. Well, I won't tell you what the live show is, but I'll give you two hints. One, it involves money, and when you find out it involves money, there's only going to be one reaction for it. Whoa! Whoa, that's amazing! Whoa! What is it that you say? Well, you're just going to have to find out later next week on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Row! Dee Dee, that's my favorite suit. Stu, you haven't worn that thing since 1977. Hey, disco's coming back. Disco? Oh, nothing, sweetheart. It's something that happened a long time ago, and it's never, never coming back. So don't you worry.